Welcome to another edition of the Asheville Sound. I am your host, John Lauderer. Today I am joined by Sally Sparks. I'm here with Miss Sally Sparks. Thank you so much for joining us today. How you doing? Good, John. Uh, good, good. Compared to what's going on here, we're we're doing great. Right, all things considered. All hanging things in there. Considered, yeah. Our lifestyle hasn't changed a lot because we're we're kind of focused around stuff we do at home anyway. Oh, good. Yeah, a lot of music. A lot of musicians I've talked to actually are of the same vein. They're all kind of introverts, and you know, not a, not a huge. Uh, impact besides not being able to play live shows, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the daily life is the same. Um, so uh, Sally is uh, wears many hats uh, around the Asheville scene. Um, so I'll let you uh, list off your uh, your credentials here. Uh, you work for Asheville Music School. You're the you're the president of the board. Yeah, I'm the board chair of Asheville Music School and uh, also the board chair of Girls Rock Asheville. Um, and so I've really um, focused on trying to get involved in some advocacy work for music education and trying to bring people into um, the music scene when they're young and, and older alike. And I also host, um, well, we used to host something called Streamside Concerts, which we hope to get back to, which is a house concert series we've been doing getting close to 10 years now. Yeah, that's like a house concert out in the country, right? Yeah, it's not actually. Yeah, I think maybe for city folks, they would say it's way out right. there. And we are in a in a really nice uh, wooded mountain setting, but we're actually not that far from the airport. So people people come from all over to the shows. Um, in fact, we we do a pretty eclectic scene with our concerts and sometimes we get people who have very passionate followings and we've had people come from the west coast to our shows even that far away nice yeah i know a few musicians who've played those shows and they all say the acoustics are pretty amazing in there and it's a great listening room yeah michael jeffrey stevens i think he's released like three albums recorded right in our spot because we've got big 28 foot ceiling and lots of different materials and weird angles that all contribute to really, really great sound. So it, it was not something we ever planned on doing. Um, but we started out, um, because somebody was looking for a place to, to host chamber music Mm. and Laura, uh, and I both, we're really very eclectic with our music taste and we wanted to, we just thought, well, we could do this. It sounds so good, and it just kind of, kind of took a life of its own. And we followed along, really. But we've we really enjoyed broadening the kinds of things that 
the listening room experience for all different kinds of music that often have a trouble finding the right setting to play in. So that's that's why I think sometimes we've gotten, uh, you know, people who really want to come back because it's like their vibe, their scene for what they want to do with their music. I hear you. Well, uh, hopefully that can get underway again uh, sooner yeah. than later. Uh, I have a feeling that if there's going to be any out concerts, they'll probably be outdoors for a while, but uh, indoors yeah. maybe maybe await. I don't <laughs> so. think we're going to be doing anything for the rest of the year. I, I'll go. I'll go that far. I don't. Yeah, that's kind it's, of weird to say that, but um, yeah, well, it's safe to say to, indoor hmm? concerts. Indoor concerts are probably not going to be happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, possibly outdoor if they're not very large. But if you keep it to a small, you know, population, but who knows? Depends on what happens in the next few months, I guess. Uh, so let's uh, talk a little bit about your um, roles in the music education in Asheville. Um, you are the uh, board chair of Asheville Music School. Uh, what can you tell us about the plans for uh, reopening in the next few months? There. Well, you know, we're just um, we're just starting that, and I think uh, and Ryan, the director, uh, Ryan Reardon, is coming up, going to present a plan. Um, on how we how we get there so we're working on that right now um and you know i would say that one thing that that is an advantage for for a small institution with private lessons is that it's going to be safer to start doing one-in-one lessons you know that's going to be one of the early things that starts to come back so i'm hopeful that we'll be back in our studios downtown giving private lessons sooner rather than later. It may not be full capacity stuff, but we'll phase yeah. back into that. Yeah. Uh, the work with the ensembles is going to be a bigger challenge, how we right. get back to that. And uh, we've been, you know, already uh, using online teaching methods and platforms um, for, for that. And you may have been doing that yourself. Mm-hmm. Um and, but doing that kind of thing for ensembles is tough. And so, you know, aside from putting videos together and, um, you know, it's it's going to be something later down the road. And I can't say right now when that's going to be, but, that's, yeah, sad, yeah. but that's, that's where we are. Yeah, I hope you were able to keep, uh, retain some students, you know, during the shift to uh, online teaching, because I know uh, some kids may be a little resistant to that. Uh but yeah, I think pretty- Ryan was saying that I think the, some of the younger, you know, the younger they get, that the harder it is to keep their attention and, unless, yeah. you're, unless you're right there. And I, I right. totally see that. Yeah, there's lots of distractions at home. And uh, they may have a video game up over here on the other screen. And, <laughs> yeah. <you know. laughs> yeah. Hard to keep exactly. it together. Yeah. Um, um, so also this uh, pandemic also put a uh, a bit of a, hurting on the um, fundraising season for Asheville Music School. Normally you guys have a series of concerts and, you know, fundraisers, uh, like the sound effects concert. Um, yeah. This it, really hit at the worst time for sound effects because we were just ramping up to, to have that show. And it's always our biggest fundraiser. Um, and we get a lot of support. A lot of people come out for that. Mm-hmm. And right as we were ramping up, this all hit. So, 
we're going to try um, to do an online telethon kind of thing. Um, and hopefully we're going to try to do it fairly soon. Okay. Uh, I've been encouraged by um, taking our Streamside concerts with some partners online. And Music School is one of them, one of the partners in that. And, um, you know, I wasn't really sure how well that was going to work out when we um, started that project. But um, we found that that there's a couple of things. One is people want to be in the same, you know, performance experience, even if they're not physically together. They want to be connected or they want to know other people are experiencing something with them, even if it's online. Um, and that's been compelling. And um, I think also there are people who really realize what, performing artists are going through and they want to be able to to support that um so um it's been it's been quite successful doing these online concerts so far and i think we could possibly do a great sound effects it won't be the same sort of thing it won't be another beatles album or anything but um Mm. we'll get guest artists to come in give performances maybe we'll do a few videos like we're working on a one for the music school that'll be released soon that that john was a part of and we appreciate that and um Mm -hmm. so um a combination of things we'll get an mc and just make a show out of it and get some local artists to uh, perform and hopefully um we'll have sound effects online coming up within the next you know, four to six weeks or so. Oh, good. Well, it's all about adapting and surviving, right? And I hope that the uh, Asheville community will come together and uh, and dig deep for Asheville Music School because the school has done a lot for the community. And hopefully yeah. they'll be there to give back. Yeah, and, you know, it's um, it's it's one of these things where you, you don't know exactly how these well these things are going to work. And even with people who've been doing things that are proven, but just the the emotional space that people are in and it's, is just so different. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, um, for those of you who don't know you, uh, let's get a little bit into your backstory here. Uh, from what I've read about you, uh, you come from a, a family of NASA scientists. Is that correct? Well, my dad was a, uh, was a NASA engineer. I was a NASA okay. brat, grew up in yeah. Huntsville, Alabama, which was, you know, it was a, as it was a, who knew you know i mean when you're a kid everything's normal but it was a very unusual place to be in the deep south growing up but everybody around you is a rocket scientist or their parents are a rocket scientist and right that was the the setting of growing up in it there so uh, a lot of pressure on you to uh, ace your science classes huh yeah, pretty much with everybody around there, yeah. I think. And that was kind of the thing that got me going into, you know, getting into synthesizers at an early age and electronic music and stuff. Because back then, um, all that stuff was new. And mm-hmm. um, growing up in a place like Huntsville, it was all about where technology was going to take us. I remember we even had kilometer signs on this for the speed limits <laughs> below the miles really? per hour because wow. there was this push to go metric and we were going to help lead the way so here <laughs> i was South a alabama kid, yeah right in alabama and i you yeah. know here i was a kid taking piano lessons and around all this tech so 
you know, when I first heard Switched On Bach and stuff like that coming along, it's just like, I got to find out about this. And yeah, within, and within a few years later, I was able to badger my parents into giving me a synthesizer. Nice. Was it a Mo- <laughs> was it a Moog or what? Well, you know that was what I wanted. Um, yeah. But it was a Roland. It was the first Roland synth that came that they released back in '73, I think it was. And I had a Moog a couple of years later, though. Okay. And I guess were you into Rick Wakeman and of and course, all those yeah, I was a progger. Played in yeah. prog bands. All you right. you can hear um, on my SoundCloud page a few excerpts from back in the day of uh, some prog stuff that I did. Very nice. Ancient stuff. Yeah. I tell people it's, if it sounds like the 70s, it's because it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the golden age of prog. Yeah. Um, awesome. I'm a big Yes fan myself. Oh, yeah. And King Crimson. Those are my jams. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, you um, got an engineering degree uh, and then uh, you ended up working for the military. Is that correct? Yeah, I worked. Um, well, I was actually, it was my prog band and we were, we were trying to get that going uh, in Huntsville, which is probably not a good place to launch a project like that. <laughs> probably not. But I was working, um, doing um, missile engineering type work, which was kind of normal there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then I got an opportunity to, um, the prog thing kind of fell apart. It was like everything went new age and punk and nobody wanted to book a prog band. So right. that broke up and I ended up in Europe for a long time. I got in the, in, in the intelligence community and um, uh, a lot of the musical projects kind of fell by the wayside at that time. I was, I did some, you know, church musical director gigs and things, but um, okay. uh, finally, um, uh, moved back here, uh, back south to the south, but came to Asheville in uh, 2009, mm-hmm. and um, just kind of, it was such a great scene after being wandering around for so long to plug back in and and yeah. kind of re- reinvent myself again and get back into music again. Okay. And how did you get hooked up with Asheville Music School? Did you start as a teacher? No, I was... Um, I think it was through the house concerts and just through some music friends in town. It was uh, Charlotte uh, Summers was director at the time. And um, she came to, I think we, she came to a concert or one. Sometimes we have jam sessions and things over here. Maybe it was one of those, but she just said, um, I want to talk to you about school and board stuff. So, so I got on the board and um, I've been on the board about, I guess about four years now. All right. And uh, now you're a senior member. <laughs> All right. And uh, the uh, Girls Rock, when did you start that up? Um, Girls Rock started in 2014. It was founded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the next year, I came in as a volunteer. And one thing that really got me excited about Girls Rock was um, was that they really have a passion for enabling kids to be empowered and using music as the way to do that. It's not just about, and that's, that's how it's a little different than Asheville Music School because it, it, it focuses less on the learning the instrument and more on empowerment. And mm-hmm. they really try hard to lower 
the um, the hurdles for kids to be able to go to camp. So if they can't afford to go to camp, uh, we try to do everything we can to be able to make that happen and, and to bring right. them together. Yeah. So it's a it's a different sort of focus, but it's just another way that it's so um, bringing that power of what how music brings people together. Yeah, especially well, that's a great program. Yeah, and uh, I believe uh, Asheville Music School's formerly uh, teacher and uh, coordinator Kylie Irving is now working for you guys, right? Yeah, I work a lot with Kylie now because she's the director of. Uh, of uh, girls rock Asheville now and yeah. um as of a couple of months ago and then uh, now she's program director at Asheville Music School and that was just kind of a happy coincidence yeah I've worked with her on a couple of different capacities performing and uh and education and she she really knows what she's doing and she's a she's yeah, a great force I feel lucky to have her on on two levels now yeah uh, Absolutely, and also a great uh, musician. Uh, yeah, of, yeah, I've played with her. Uh, she sometimes she plays trombone in my dance band, and uh, she she has a serious uh, serious chops. Have you heard her play? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. Nice. Okay, so let's uh, get into a little bit of your electronic music background. Uh, I was looking into this uh, ContinueCon, uh, the Hawken Continuum fingerboard. Uh, and I I had heard of something like this, but I'd never seen this exact kind of instrument. Um, what's uh? Can you give us a synopsis on this? Yeah, I'll get, this and I'll give you a little bit of background on that too. So it, it was part of this journey of coming back into electronic music after going away from it. I I you know I was into the synth scene, you know, back in the forty years ago, and and then I, you know, I think maybe it was when the digital workstations and all the sample players and things came along. I, I just kind of got tired of it and I sold everything I had and I just was only playing piano and, and I also studied classical guitar and it's like, that's all I was doing for hmm. years. It was like nothing electronic at all hmm. until I moved back to Asheville. And there was so much going on with electronic music here and I met some folks and started getting interested in it I didn't really even have any gear anymore um just had a few guitars and a piano and so I started thinking about well what where is this technology gone and what you know surely it's gone to the next level of somehow of expression and I'll go back a little bit um so one thing I was really interested in years and years ago was was instruments that could be really, really expressive for a player and where they were taking it. And there was an instrument called the Yamaha CS80 that came out in the late 70s. And if you're an old Prager and King Crimson fan, you may remember a band called UK that Bill Bruford and uh, yeah. John Wetton and Eddie Jobson were in. And mm -hmm. Eddie Jobson had a CS80. Um, and the thing that was really amazing about the CS80 was it was a polyphonic synthesizer, but it had a key bed that would allow you to play expressively with the pressure after you'd hit the key, oh. called polyphonic aftertouch. Okay. So you could press one key down and maybe 
make it brighter or change the vibrato on it. And so to be able to play that instrument expressively took you to an entirely different place than, than electronic instruments had before. So I got one of those things back in the 70s, and it wouldn't stay in tune. It weighed 220 pounds. Mm. Um, you know, you really had to want it to, <laughs> to play this thing. Uh, was it, it an uh, analog instrument? Yes, completely oh, analog. okay. And, gotcha. um, but I loved it. it. There was nothing mm. like playing it. Hmm. So when I came here... It's like, well, where have they taken this? Because I had not really seen anything over the years that I thought compelled me, you know, as a player. Uh, maybe in terms of, you know, the sound design and the things you can do with synthesis. Yeah, that had gone a long way. But as far as a player's expressive interface goes, that was something I hadn't seen any advances on to speak of. Yeah, I was um, watching some of the demos on this instrument online, and you know, playing it looks simple enough. Uh, but then it gets into the program programming aspect of it, and it's almost like advanced calculus. It's it's yeah, really, it's co- it's really a pretty, complicated. That's pretty deep. But actually, playing it's playing it is not so simple. Yeah, um, it's it's a little bit like learning how to play a violin or something. Right, you got to be right on that pitch, right? Yeah, well, you can round it, but um, yeah, it's just yeah. it's it it's something you really have to learn, like a whole new instrument and practice it. Yeah. And and the the layout of the keyboard, it looked kind of interesting. It was kind of like the twelve tone, you know, standard piano layout, but it not is, quite. it is. Yeah. It's the fingerboard. It actually isn't a keyboard because there aren't any keys on it. Right, it's just flat. Uh, it's, right. I call it like a. To people who haven't seen it, it's like a fretless piano or something. Right. Because there's the keys are marked on it, mm-hmm. but there aren't any delineation between the notes that you can feel or touch. It's just paint right. that tells yeah. you where the pitch is. Right. Just a reference paint stripe. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it it took a while to, to get it with that instrument, but the guy that invented it, Dr. Leopold Hawken at the University of Illinois. He um, he comes from a family of violinists, and he wanted to create an instrument that would have the level of sensitivity that a violin has. So the the fingerboard itself can sense three microns of movement of your finger. So it's extremely, extremely sensitive and super, super high resolution. So it really can register the most slight movements that you make. Yeah. I saw that on the, uh, on the demo, it, you know, if you, uh, it's pressure sensitive too. So if you press down harder, you get a a different timbre. Right. Um, It's three, it's fully three dimensional. Yeah. Which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, And I guess, you know, this is all born out of, you know, the theremin type design, right? And then, and what, what was the instrument, I should look this up, that came before this that it had like a, kind of like a ring and there's a string yeah, on each side? You're thinking of the owned Martineau. Oh, okay. Yeah. That yeah. seems to be the precursor of that, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The owned Martineau, the theremin, um, the uh, tritonium, which is an instrument a lot of people haven't heard of, but if you 
Google the Troutonium at T-R-A-U-T-O-N-I-U-M, Troutonium. And the master of that was a guy named Oscar Sala, who um, actually had an orchestral piece written for him as a, a concerto, I think it was. Um, hmm. There's a recording that was recorded during World War II in Germany of him playing this thing. And it's mind-blowingly virtuosic. Mm-hmm. It's just incredible. And that's um, that's a bit of a holy grail, I think, for some of the continuum people there uh, to be able to play a piece like that on the continuum. Yeah, um, with orchestra. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I've really gotten into it and uh, to the point where um, <clears throat> I have a cohort of people here. And we may have the largest ratio of continuum players per capita in Western North Carolina here in the Asheville area, because there's like six of us here in town, hmm. which is kind of high. And um, wonder how did that happen? Is it an association with Moog or is just a, no, it was, uh, it was, uh, some of it was a little serendipitous and some of it was me just showing it to people. Okay. Um, I, I, uh, I did a, um, a concert over at, a at, a concert series that uh, Richard and Diana Brewster host that's a little more in the experimental zone uh, a few years ago and Wayne Kirby came to that mm-hmm. and um, a couple of months later he bought a cup bought one for UNCA all right and um, so they've got one or two now and um, yeah they aren't readily available right how do you get your hands on one of these things well Hawken yeah you have to contact Hawken and um, they custom made yeah, they hand make them, wow. but they've got a, a new one out that's a little small one called the Mini that's a lot more affordable. Oh, it doesn't do everything, but but uh, it's really it's about the size of a flute. It's, okay, it's is it a just tiny like a, thing. Yeah. a one octave? Yeah, it's about two maybe, but okay. it it's not it doesn't have the 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 y axis uh, control level that okay. that the the main one. It's a different kind of mechanism, but it's a very powerful little huh. instrument too yeah that sounds fun yeah yeah it's neat you can play percussion on it too which is i saw that in the demo of, really cool yeah. yeah it's like a hand drum sounds yeah yeah, yeah. awesome yeah so we we had a couple of conferences and um and we've done three in Asheville. we did 16 17 and 19 we did unca yeah uh yeah the last two of them we did here we were at unca hosted by uh dr Kirby and and the music department there and then um, in 2018 we went to Paris to ERCOM which is the Institute for Research and Coordination Mm. of Acoustics and Music in Paris which for people into music tech and experimental music and electronic music that's kind of like the holy grail to go there so we were pretty stoked to to be able to have them host the, the conference there. Very nice. And a couple of weeks ago, we were supposed to be in Portugal for the uh. <laughs> for the fifth conference, but that didn't happen. Yeah, obviously not going to happen. Well, hopefully postponed to, to a safer date, whenever that is. Yeah, uh, I, I still like to go to Portugal, though. Yeah, I've always wanted to go, too. Bucket list. Uh, so let's move on to your Keep Music Live project. So this is uh, a 
project you started to uh, help support local musicians uh, in an attempt to to keep their livelihood going during the pandemic when there's no public performances. Uh, so uh, how did this get started? Um, well, when all this was coming down, I was thinking, you know, we're we were canceling our, our house concerts already, and I a lot of musician friends in town and around really with social media around the world. And um, I'm thinking, how can people work through this? And will people do something online? And I thought, maybe people will want this. So I, I contacted, uh, I talked to Ryan at the school and I talked to uh, Clint Bernard who hosts the Acoustic Journeys con- um, concert series at the UU Church. Um, they do a, like a once a month Sunday evening thing. And uh, my friend Paul Hugh Miller, who uh, is the owner of Dream Guitars. Um, and uh, another friend, Deb Cornish, who's an audio engineer who specializes in multimedia online type um, AV engineering. And put forth ideas like maybe if we partner up, we could just start hosting concerts online. So we did, and we didn't really know if anybody would donate or we didn't want to sell tickets because one thing that we all of the partners agreed on was, and and the fifth partner was uh, Fretboard Journal Magazine. So a lot of this is very much acoustic guitar oriented uh, in Mm. our partnership, but we're doing more than that. Um, But anyway, um, we didn't want to sell tickets because, you know, we're, we're what, 25% unemployment and we want to be able to connect people. We don't want to provide, we don't want to put up barriers to say we all need to feel connected, but if you can't afford it, you can't, you can't be a part of that. Right. But we also wanted people to say, if you're in a position where you can support a professional musician, would you do that? So, so we're going around, um, talking with musicians, seeing if they want to be a part of it and putting on these shows. Um, and so far, We've done about 18 of them. We've raised well over $30,000 for it. It goes directly to the musicians so far. Wow. Awesome. Um, and this is all through direct contributions? Through all through direct contributions. PayPal, we, yeah, we don't, we don't act as a pass-through. We just hmm. we get the, the PayPal or the Venmo from the musician, and we, we run, you know, I'm, I'm running these, uh, Deb, Deb and I are running these shows, uh, producing these shows remotely. We found a platform called StreamYard mm-hmm. that lets us do that. And um, so we can, depending, you know, depending on what kind of gear that the musician has, we can uh, do multiple camera angles and we try to help them get their sound set. We spend a lot of time doing sound checks because a lot of people, you know, this hasn't been in their tool bag to, to do online sound before so for Mm -hmm. a lot of people are like i don't have any microphones i don't have any of this or that people usually do that for me and right um we're trying to help them get their sound at least good enough to where they can do an online show yeah did you have to do any that were just the microphone on a phone or a tablet or something like that i guess well we've done it um (laughs) the first few shows we we did a little of that and we 
you know, we had some people who are not only great musicians, but kind of into the tech. So, I mean, mm-hmm. the first show we did with Al Petaway, um, he, he's a great guitarist, but he's also into the tech. So he had an SSL interface and, you know, two Neumann mics, and it sounded like a professionally produced studio show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he could probably release an album for that show if he wanted to. But then the next time we had somebody just playing through their phone Right. <laughs> but, you know, in a way, um, it, it's compelling that way a lot of times because seeing somebody in their kitchen with their dog running and their kids running around, it's, right. it's kind of moving. Yeah. Uh, but that makes you miss the live, uh, you know, sound of, you know, a nice microphone and the PA system. Yeah. Uh, you know, because when you record on your phone, as you know, it's all upper mid range, you know, tinny. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's just, uh, it leaves some to be desired, but, um, I think, uh, you know, what I've tried to do was to, to, to at least, you know, and we don't have like any, like it, we have to have a bandwidth of this or, you know, to, but we, we basically do these sound checks with people and we either say, this is good enough, but maybe you could do this or we go, yeah. Um, this is great. Or maybe we go, we're not there yet. You know, right. I don't think we're there. Yes. Yeah. So we, so far we haven't had to reschedule anything, but we, we have had to have people like order some gear because it was oh, really? just wasn't going to be good enough. And they okay. usually want to do it because well, I think excuse. everybody realizes they're going to be performing this way for a while. Yeah. This whole thing has forced us to become more tech savvy and, you know, adapt to the situation. And, uh, I think everybody has gotten, you know, a bit more skill set under their belt as far as, uh, operating online. Uh, so there's another be- thing too, that's interesting. And it'd be interesting to see what some of the other musicians around the area think of this. And that is sometimes people go, well, I do my own show like once a week on my own Facebook page and stuff for my fans. And, which is great. But one thing we're trying to do is to, is to encourage people to consider some of the online hosts to be like a different venue. You know, Keep Music Live Project is one venue. And I know, you know, White Horse is doing some stuff. Uh, and they're, they're their own venue normally, but they're doing their own online shows. And, you know, there was the quarantine project and different things going on around town. I am AVL and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I think it's good to have both. To have things where, you know, where musicians can go around between these different online hosts and say, I'll do a show for you, I'll do a show for you, I'll do a show for you. I think it would be a little self-defeating sometimes to go, well, I have my own channel, so I'm just going to do that. Because by having these virtual venues, you've got some people who are tapped into their own venue fan base that you bring the artist to. And it just, yeah, it, I mean, it's, not, it's certainly not replacing the physical gig opportunities, but it's at least providing yeah. some virtual venues that people can move between their performances yes yeah. well i'm waiting to see when when bands start getting in the same room and performing again of course they'll all be wearing masks i guess <laughs> they'll have to have like a face mask with a microphone in it you know 
so you don't have to remove your mask. <laughs> yeah, that'd well, be a, it'd be, be like, uh, what's the, the um, oh gosh, I can't think, uh, Daft Punk, you know, with the motorcycle right. helmets. And that's right, right. Yeah. yeah, they'll have to fit it out with a mic and uh, that'll be the next trend. So that'll be the, Darth the next Darth Vader uh, helmet and stuff. Exactly. That'll be the next hot item at Guitar Center. Everybody will be picking up. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, Sally, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to plug before we go? Um, no, I think you, you pretty much covered it. I, I appreciate it. And, um, okay. and now we're going to talk, uh, we're going to go out on the music, um, that you sent me, uh, with your group yonder. Um, uh, this is a tune twilight greeting. And what can you tell me about this tune? Yeah, this was a recorded here in my studio in November of 2013, I think with, uh, Chris Stack, who is uh, my partner in the yonder duo, but it also includes, Greg Walzer, who was uh, running the um, electro music uh, festivals that were held here in Asheville, has now changed uh, to Mountain Skies, which was recently also canceled. But this was just one of these sessions where um, we didn't really have a plan, and we just um, we just started improvising. So on this one, I think uh, Greg was playing flute and synth, and uh, Chris was mostly playing the Moog guitar, which, if you haven't heard of, is an interesting instrument. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and I was playing piano and uh, continuum and, um, and a Korg wave drum, I think, on this piece. So wow. it was one of those happy accidents where we were just having an open improv and it turned into something that wound up on an album. Nice. Well, we're going to go out with Twilight Greeting here. And Sally Sparks, I appreciate your time and you take care. I hope to see you in real life sometime. Absolutely, John. Thanks for having me on and uh, we'll hope to see you before long.
Music starts in the mind and the heart continues in time forever as art and recording can either be tough and annoying or something that's clearly more lush and rewarding. It's gotta be better than just good or great. It needs to hit hard like Babe Ruth at the plate. From rock, hip hop, and dance music to blues or pop, hard bop, and swing music, you choose. As a working musician, I can truly relate. So let's rap about your project and schedule a date. My name is Matt Williams, producer at The Eagle Room. I'm grateful to have helped so many artists create their music in this wonderful space, where together we have the talent and tools to bring ideas into reality. The Eagle Room is an efficient, full production recording studio with in-house mixing and mastering, high-quality equipment, and award-winning attention to detail. Visit TheEagleRoom.com to find out more. Virtual live streaming online music lessons are here. Need to brush up on your guitar skills? Improve your singing voice? Remember how to play that old dusty piano in the corner? Well, Asheville Music School has got you covered. They teach students of all ages, yes, adults too, and skill levels, and any style of music you're into. Visit AshevilleMusicSchool.org to inquire and learn about dozens of great music teachers. Asheville Music School is a nonprofit organization strengthening Western North Carolina communities through music education and outreach. Once again, visit AshevilleMusicSchool.org for all your music learning needs.